Well, let's open our Bibles tonight to Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8, the last time we were here in the study of our, uh, the book of Revelation, we were, of course, in chapter 7, and the angels were holding back the four winds of destruction while the 12,000 from every tribe of the tribes of Israel were sealed. And we could think of that chapter as the calm before the storm. And tonight we'll begin in chapter 8, the section of the book of Revelation that's known as the seven-year tribulation period. Let's do a quick overview of where we've been in the first seven chapters and, and look also at what's ahead in this book. We're almost at the halfway mark, and I think it's good to get our bearings again. Uh, the simple outline for the book we've given in the passage from Revelation chapter 1, verse 19 where John writes, or John puts, write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. And in chapter 1, we have the past events, the things which were. John is writing from the Isle of Patmos, seeing the, uh, the glory of the Savior. And then in chapters 2 and 3, the, the things that are, the seven churches of Asia Minor, and uh, what was taking place then. And then in the future, uh, chapters 4 through 22, all of these future events. Now in Revelation chapters 4 and 5, John's describing what will take place in heaven. In chapter 5, the, the lamb who was worthy was able to un, unloose the seals of the scroll, that, that book that's written. And in uh, Revelation 6 through 20, he tells about uh, the vision of things that will take place on earth. And so in chapter 6, we begin the, the, the prefix to the tribulation period and the end times. Uh, six seals of the scroll were opened in chapter 6. Uh, there was uh, four horses that were mentioned at the beginning of the, those, the first four. Then martyred souls under the altar, then a great shaking and signs and wonders. In chapter 7, again, as I said, the angels were holding back the winds until the 144,000 were sealed. And those uh, Jewish witnesses will be at work during the tribulation period. And then we also saw in chapter 7 martyred souls before the throne of God. Now in chapter 8, we'll have a, a silence as the seventh seal, or just before the seventh seal is opened. And in this chapter, we'll just see the first four of the seven trumpets that sound. In chapter 9, the fifth and sixth trumpets will sound. The seventh doesn't sound until Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Chapter 10, we'll see the angel, a book, and a measuring rod. Chapter 11, two witnesses. Chapters 12 through 14 are a parenthesis, where personalities are introduced, and we'll study those. Chapter 15, seven angels with the last plagues in seven bowls pour those bowls of wrath out on the earth. That marks the second half of the tribulation period, the second three and a half years. The seven bowls of judgment are described in chapter 16 that are poured out on that earth, on the earth. Chapter 17 and 18, the destruction of Babylon. Chapter 19, the final battle of Armageddon and the, the second coming, the final coming, the return of Christ. Chapter 20, the millennium, and then chapter 21 and 22, the new heaven and the new earth. So there is a lot in this book, and there's a reason that I have not preached through it before. Uh, but I am enjoying, or at least being challenged by, our study in it now. And so let's look at chapter 8 tonight. When the last seven seals 
or the last of the seven seals are opened, I, I, I almost picture in my mind the, the Russian matryoshka dolls. You know how you take the head off one and there's another inside and you take that one out and there's another inside. Well here, in all of the book of Revelation, we have the seven sealed scroll and each of those seals are being broken. The seventh is broken tonight. And then we have the seven trumpets, and that's the first half of the tribulation period, and the seven bowls of wrath, which are the second half of the tribulation period. When we think of the, the tribulation, there are some people who say, well, that already happened, that was in 70 AD, and uh, we're just reading about what has already taken place. And some say, well, it, 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 hasn't, uh, it, it hasn't happened yet, we say that. Well. Why do we say that? Nothing in human history will compare with this tribulation as it's described in the book of Revelation. It will be universal. It will be worse than anything we have ever experienced or the world has ever experienced before. Let me just read one passage in Daniel chapter 12, beginning in the chapter. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to the, sh the same time. And at that time, thy people shall be, shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. Joel describes it this way in Joel chapter 2 and verse 2. A day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong there hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. One author has described it this way. Take the horror of every war since time began. Throw in every natural disaster in recorded history and cast off all the restraints so that the unspeakable cruelty and hatred of injustice of man toward his fellow men can fully mature and compress it into a period of seven years. Even if you can imagine such a horror, it wouldn't approach the mind-boggling terror and turmoil of the tribulation. When you think about that judgment poured out upon the earth, many people think, is that fair? Is that what a loving God will do? And I'm reminded that God is just, and he does all things well. He is always fair. We can never accuse him of doing anything that's wrong. And God will not let sin go unpunished. I'm so thankful that he sent his son to take our punishment on the cross. But he won't let sin go unpunished. One author says, it's difficult for non-Christians to understand that a God of love would allow Remember, it's difficult for non-Christians <laughs> that a God of love would allow the tribulation. But God wants to draw as many people as possible to him before Jesus returns to set up his millennial kingdom. And he will use the tribulation to get their attention. In grace and love, he will give more supernatural signs and leadings of his spirit than at any time in the history of the world, proving that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God has been holding back his wrath 
He's been storing it up until the day of wrath. We read that in Romans chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against or until the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. God has to punish sin. He's righteous. And God's made it possible for all who believe in him to escape his wrath. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, we've mentioned it before, and that's one of the proof texts that the Christian will not go through the tribulation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's look in this chapter, chapter 8, and we'll see tonight the first four of seven trumpets. As we read verses 1 through 6, we can put a title over these verses with the anticipation of judgment. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the pace of half an hour. And I, uh, the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it, with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. The seventh seal is finally opened. Remember, Jesus was the only one who had the authority to unroll, to loosen the seals and unroll the, the scroll. And he breaks this final seal. Remember this, this scroll we've called the title deed to the universe. He owns all things. He created all things. He has the right to all things. And so he will finally bring about judgment and justice on everything that has ever taken place. As soon as the seal is broken, there's silence in heaven for about a half hour. The hosts of heaven, as we've been reading through these first seven chapters, there's been a lot of noise, a lot of sounds. The hosts of heaven who have been praising God throughout the book so far will be strangely quiet. We've seen the 24 elders in chapter 4 who are proclaiming the Lamb who is worthy to receive honor and glory and power. The myriads of angels joined their praise in chapter 5. The martyred souls in chapter 6 cried with a loud voice for God to avenge their blood. The 144,000 Israelites joined in the praise in Revelation chapter 7. And now all of that is stopped. And it's silent. There is anticipation of what is coming. Any of you who have taught in school or had a Sunday school class know that one of the best ways to get everyone's attention is to stop and just stare at them. <laughs> and they're waiting for you to say something. They think, am I in trouble? There's anticipation of what will come next. Here, the space of a half an hour, and every minute drags on in the silence. 
There's an anticipation, there's a real realization that judgment is about to fall. Those who have been justified in Christ are longing for his gavel to fall. They're waiting for justice to finally prevail, for righteousness to be rewarded, for evil, wickedness to be punished. When you read a book and the author ends the story with, something that's not quite right. It's not just. Whether the hero dies without his character being defended or the villain seems to get away with his evil plots, he's never brought to justice, it leaves you wishing that, number one, you hadn't wasted your time reading the book, or number two, that you could finish it, just tear out the last chapter and rewrite it. God has placed within man a conscience that desires truth and right to prevail. And in the tribulation period, when the saved of earth have been caught away by, by, by Christ at the rapture, those who refused his grace will be left for this last trial. And even in this devastation, they are given an opportunity to respond to divine correction They're given an opportunity to repent. Yes, it will be costly for people. Many will be martyred when they do. But he is always graciously, mercifully giving an opportunity for man to repent. In Revelation 8, 2, John sees seven angels who were given seven trumpets. These angels, notice they are standing before God. Hebrews 1.14 says that angels are ministering spirits. They do whatever God wants them to do. And here these seven angels are each given a trumpet. Now if you've been in the military, you are very familiar with bugle calls. There are many of them that are given. Some of them become your favorites, others you dread. (laughs) A call to, to eat is probably the favorite. Getting up may be one you dread. Trumpets have always been used in militarily in history. Trumpets were used in the Old Testament. Ram's horns were blown to let the Israelites know what they needed to do. As, as the children of Israel wandered through that desert, either it was time to strike camp or rally for war or gather for worship, they were blown to announce the coronation of kings. They were, they were loud and they would sound a warning or give an indication that something important was about to take place. Notice that God is the one who gave the angels these trumpets. It's his judgment that's coming. It's his announcement that's being made. Another angel stood at the altar. This is the golden altar in heaven. The golden altar in the temple on earth was patterned after the one, the tabernacle in heaven. The angel is holding a golden censer, a pan that held coals of fire. The Old Testament priest would use a pan like this to transfer coals from the brazen altar to the altar of incense in the holy place. This incense is combined with the prayers and is offered on that golden altar before the throne. Since it's the altar of gold, overlaid with gold, it tells us this this is the altar of incense. The incense, along with our prayers, ascend to God. 
Notice in verse 3, it says that the angel was given much incense. There is no shortage of incense to accompany the prayers of believers. May there not be a shortage in our prayers. I've said before, there are certain things that we spend our time doing that at the end of our life we'll look back and wish we hadn't spent our time doing that. There are other things like prayer and Bible study and church attendance and witnessing that we'll wish we had done more of. We will never regret the time that we spend in God's word and in prayer. And may we all be challenged to pray more. There's much incense. He offers the incense along with the prayers of, notice another word that's interesting in the middle of verse 3, of all saints. Every believer should be one who prays. We don't relegate prayer just to a few people in the church that we know are spiritual and walk with the Lord. We are all to be praying. The altar of incense that represents our prayers was the closest thing to the presence of God. In the temple, in the tabernacle, it was the, in the Holy of Holies was the, the Ark of the Covenant. In the holy place, just outside that veil, were the showbread, the table of showbread, the lampstand, but right against the veil was the altar of incense. Our prayers bring us close to God. We come boldly into his presence. Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore, because we have a great high priest who has passed into the heavens, come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I see this emphasis on prayer just before this judgment. The aroma of every prayer that's ever been voiced rises with the sweet smell of this incense to God. The thankful words that we have prayed for giving God praise for specific answers to those who've trusted God's promises. The prayers of parents who weep over wayward children. The prayers of faithful servants who labor in ministries. The prayers for God to spare the lives of those who are unborn. The prayers of those martyrs in Revelation 6 who cry out for vengeance beneath the throne. All of these prayers combine and rise to God. And then the silence is over. And I'm sure John was a little startled at what takes place next. Because the angel who took the coals from the brazen altar to the golden altar now takes the, the, the coals from that golden altar and throws it down to the earth. And God is finally making all things right. And from the earth come again these great sounds of judgment that's beginning. Voices, thunderings, lightnings, and earthquakes. And he uses the prayers to now begin this judgment. The seven angels prepare themselves to sound. Now we have the first four of the seven trumpets. First angel sounded the trumpet in verse 7. The first angel sounded and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth and the third part of the, sea, of the trees were burnt up. And all green grass was burnt up. We'll notice first the judgment and then the result of the judgment in each of these, uh, these trumpet judgments. 
The judgment is hail and fire mingled with blood. This fire is not just lightning. John used the word for lightning with thunder and an earthquake when he wrote about the sixth seal being broken open. Here he says, hail and fire are raining from heaven. Not the same as lightning. Lightning doesn't destroy a city. But fire and brimstone, sulfur and bitumen and asphalt compounds do. Flammable material falling from the sky. There will be a rain of fire that has not been seen since Sodom and Gomorrah. And now it's on a greater scale than just two cities. This fire will destroy a third of the world's vegetation. It's mingled with blood. We often ask as we go through the book of Revelation, because our hermeneutical principle is be literal whenever possible. If plain sense makes good sense, seek no other sense. That's a good rule of hermeneutics. So we come to this, and when we see this, will this be actual blood, or is John using words that illustrate a, a red color as the judgment comes? Similar to the question about uh, Joel's prophecy in Joel 2, verse 31. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Will the moon appear blood red, or will it be liquid, literal. Henry Morris gives some ideas of what might happen during this first trumpet judgment. He writes, the masses of water vapor blown skyward might well condense in the intense updrafts as hailstones. The blood of entrapped men and animals might be mingled with them, or possibly showers of liquid water drops might be so contaminated with dust and gases as to appear blood red. You say, well, which is it? I don't know. But when it happens, we'll look back and we'll say, John was exactly right. It's just like he describes. Notice the result of the judgment. A third of all vegetation on earth dies. A third of the trees. A third of the bushes. A third of the crops. And all green grass. And this is only the beginning. This is the first trumpet. The second angel sounds a trumpet in verses 8 and 9. The second angel sounded, and as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. And the third part of the sea became blood, and the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. Notice the judgment. As it were, a great burning mountain cast into the sea. As it were. Something like a great mountain. Something huge. But it's burning with fire. And it's thrown into the sea. Some have described this as a giant meteorite or asteroid surrounded by flaming gases that will hit the earth. God designed the seas to supply many of the things that we need to survive. They say that about half of the Earth's oxygen supply comes from the ocean, from sea algae, from phytoplankton. The environmentalists who have been so worried about man destroying the planet will suddenly realize only God has the power to destroy what he's created. 
Notice the effect of, the, of this judgment. One third of the sea turns to blood. Again, this could be blood red in color, possibly from the death of the sea creatures and fish. A third of the living animals in the sea die. A third of the ships are destroyed. This may be a result from the huge tsunami waves that, uh, that occur from this fiery mountain-like mass that lands in the sea. So after two judgments, a third of all the vegetation on earth, a third of all the life of the sea is gone. It's destroyed. But this is only the beginning. The third angel sounded the trumpet in verses 10 and 11. The third angel sounded and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many died of the waters because they were made bitter or poisonous. What's the judgment? There's a great star that fell from heaven. And it's described as burning as it were a lamp. As it were. Again, as often in the case of, 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 of descriptions in Revelation, John is describing things as he sees them, as they look, it could be something else. He's never seen anything like this before, so he describes it in his own words, in terms he knows. It doesn't mean that these things are symbolic or that they, are, they aren't as real as something else. He's just describing them with words he knows. A great star burning as a lamp. Some have described this as a comet because of the words that it burns like a lamp or a torch. It fell on a third of all the rivers and fountains of waters. He's, he's describing the fresh water system of the earth. The star is called wormwood. The Greek word is absinthos. It's found only here in the New Testament. The, the terminology, the, the word wormwood is found eight times in the Old Testament. Today, wormwood is a shrub whose leaves are used to make absinthe. Interesting, it's connected with that same Greek word that's found here. Absinthe is a chemical so toxic that many countries will not allow it to be harvested or manufactured. What's the effect of the judgment? A third of the waters are poisoned. They became wormwood. In contrast to the third of the water that was turned to blood in the second trumpet judgment, now a third of the fresh water is contaminated. Many men died from the waters that were bitter. The world is going to be devastated by these three judgments that have fallen. There will be great shock. There will be great fear. But God is still not finished in pouring out his wrath. As I think of that, I think of the reason for that wrath. This is great judgment. But man's sin has also been great. And that's why God is justly giving what we deserve. The fourth angel sounded the trumpet in verse 12. And the third part of the sun was smitten. And the third part of the moon and the third part of the stars, so as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. This judgment is 
on the heavenly bodies, the, the reflected light and, and also the, 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 the light from these bodies, the sun. The moon reflects the light. The stars have their own light as the sun. The effects of the judgment, a third part of the light they normally give is now darkened. Could be dimmer. Could be an eclipse of some sort. It would make a, a longer night. It could be without the, with the sun only shining two-thirds of its strength. There's, there's going to be a, a much colder temperatures. This partial eclipse isn't going to last because by chapter 16, verses 8 and 9, it's described as the, the, the heat of the sun will be burning with intensity. Let me just read those two verses. Revelation 16, 8 and 9. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. We come to verse 13, Revelation chapter 8. Now there is an announcement that there is more destruction to come. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. Here is an angel that's flying and shouting out as he flies, announcing to those who are still alive on the earth, three woes. There are three more angels yet to announce judgment with their trumpets. In Revelation 9, the first woe is five months of torment. The second woe, 200 million demons destroy a third of the earth's population. The third woe is the seventh trumpet that announces those seven bowls of wrath that will be poured out in the second half of the tribulation. As I studied this chapter this week, I was overwhelmed with the justice of God. We live in a world where sin is rampant and where it is getting worse and worse. And there is coming a day when God will judge and his judgment is fair it's deserved. And as I thought about that, I was overwhelmed with God's grace because I deserved God's wrath. But in mercy, not by anything that I deserved or you deserved, but in mercy, he saved us. I was reminded about Jesus and I went to that crucifixion scene in my mind. And I'm amazed. It is grace. It is mercy that he took God's wrath that belonged to me. He took my punishment. And I just wanted to read a section of Ephesians to remind us that we too deserve that wrath that will fall. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, 
among whom also we had our own conversation in time past, and the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. If you have not responded to God's demonstration of love and of mercy, run to him today. He will save you. Don't think that sin will go unpunished. The only escape in the tribulation is to accept Christ by faith. Those who die without Christ today will still face God's wrath. There is an eternal punishment that we all deserve. And the only escape is to accept Jesus Christ by faith. Don't reject his mercy. Run to Christ today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that as we have seen this future seen before us that John describes we would have a greater compassion on a world who has not turned to your mercy and trusted your grace and I pray that you would help us to have a greater urgency to share the gospel to warn them of the judgment that's coming so that they too can experience your mercy Lord, burden us for those who have not turned from their sin and called upon you to be saved. Help us to be bold in our witness and fervent in our prayers and consistent in our lives so that you can use us effectively to reach others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.